0: Our reading for today is called One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day. Accept the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice farther, losing faster. Places and names and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch. And look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I miss them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I loved. I shan't have lied. It's evident. The art of losing's not too hard to master, though it may look like.
1: Like disaster. I feel like I have to lift this up that your UUCL staff is getting tested regularly, and uh, hence why some of us are speaking without our masks this morning. And we are happy to show you those test results if you like. That's the world we're in, right? Right now. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that their loss is no disaster. Those words make perfect sense, right? Maybe, maybe not. The poet Elizabeth Bishop stands as a prophet to us this morning. Not teaching us anything new or revolutionary, but pointing out something so obvious The poem you heard is deeply veiled. Bishop never liked to share too many personal details in her poetry. She preferred to observe from a distance. But knowing her life, you see the loss in the poem. You start to understand all the talk of losing homes and continents and keys and rivers. Because she did lose her home, as in losing door keys. The death of her father and the mental break that would take her mother from her. Her orphanhood, spending time in Canada and then back in the U.S. The loss of place, moving and traveling, the smaller losses of travel, friends across distances, friends you lose touch with. The loss of a lover. The loss of power, being a queer woman in the early to mid-20th century, she knew loss. Just as we all know loss in our own ways. She gives voice to how loss seems to speed up as we age, as life unfolds. As we travel and move and carve out our lives, it's almost as if to say with every heartbeat there is something lost. It all makes sense. It's instinctive, it's true. Loss is constant, change is constant. Even Walt Whitman realized this when he wrote, all goes onward and outward, nothing collapses. Indeed, nothing collapses, but it still goes onward and outward, away from our sight. It's one of those baffling parts of being human. We can understand that there is loss in everything, and as Bishop says, it's not hard to master the art of losing. We don't really have a choice most of the time the art of understanding that we are faced with it every single day. And at the same time, we grasp hold of anything, everything, and refuse to let go. We know loss is inevitable, but we hang on for dear life. It could be the greatest thing in the world, or it could be the smallest thing this morning that you are holding on to, that I am holding on to that you see other people holding on to. Is it a flaw of our species or another example of that indomitable human spirit? I don't really think it matters. It's strange whether or not it's something to celebrate. And so here we are, human beings, peculiar primates that know our lives are finite. Our flesh is not permanent as it is. Our bones will be dust one day. The earth is mortal too, we know this, so is our solar system, our galaxy, this universe. So are the ones you love, the ones you hate, the flock of geese you saw this morning, everything. Perhaps the only true infinity is just that. Everything is lost. Now, if it sounds like I'm being too somber or downtrodden this morning, (laughs) let's check in for a moment, right? because I think how we respond to talking and thinking about loss is crucial here. We might think we have two options. Be depressed by this? Oh God, the minister is talking about death and loss and won't shut up. We don't need this after 21 months of this virus. Or wow, there is such a freedom in this. Cherish each moment. Life is temporary bliss. But really, you should come to expect this from me, I, I would hope. I am smack dab in the middle of those two choices. Yes, loss is saddening. Yes, loss is freeing. A community such as ours is here to grapple with this middle way. The big religious questions rarely are either or choices. They're both and. They're multitudes. They're never settled They are an expression of loss, change, growth, movement onward and outward forever with sadness and joy to be found. Now, if there's anything I wish Western culture would get over as soon as possible, it's the impulse to dwell in one side or the other, either or. You know what I mean. Think of this question of loss, of life, of change. Think of it in our society. I feel like there's a seduction To either surrender to nihilism, there is no meaning in anything, or to simplify questions of meaning altogether. I'm sure you can conjure up images in your mind of examples of nihilism run amok. Perhaps you've had your own moments in life where that's the case. Maybe it was even this morning. Every time I turn on the news, that's the case for me. And as to avoiding meaning or the hard questions and simplifying them. Just look to our culture of busyness, always needing to do something or else we might have to sit with that inner voice, or to simplify. You need only to look at systems of belief that talk only about prosperity or black and white notions of the universe. Now, we could dwell in philosophy if we like, right? I'd rather enjoy that. That'd be great. But here's what I think. Whether we like it or not, we are stuck in the middle. We must wrestle with this tension. We are beings that instinctively know of loss, but wrestle with that impulse to hold on no matter what. We are right in the middle of that, whether we like it or not. Which brings us to this morning. Which brings us to this time we are in, this 21 plus months of the COVID-19 pandemic, this season where something was to be gained, we had some hope, and now we see it falling away due to new variants. Friends and loved ones are getting sick, and the realization this virus is going to be with us for a very long time. The philosophical response to this is to ruminate further on loss. The paradox of being human. We Unitarian Universalists love the philosophical. What's not to love? There's a delight and a freedom to be found plunging headfirst into questions of life and swimming around for a while. But the philosophical, this world of ideas, can become navel-gazing or analysis paralysis. Especially in the face of what's called wicked problems. The climate crisis, systemic racism, the pandemic, just to name a few. Problems that have no easy answer. There's also the cultural response to what we're going through. I have to admit, my desire to describe the cultural response tends to be in four-letter words. Ministers scream into the void, just like all of you. I think our culture has buckled under the weight of it all. We could point fingers easily, letting ourselves get swept up in the political but let's be honest, the political is there, and we're a part of it. Simple protective measures are divisive issues. Our conversations can devolve into brisk assessments of risk, prejudging, and we're just, just being so tired of this. But we're here for the religious response, which is the story of a community united in a living tradition, through ritual music reflection. We are of the world, but not at peace with everything in it. Unsettled with injustice, called to be our best selves, and called again and again and again and again, because no one's perfect. We begin with those questions of philosophy, but move to bringing our responses into the world, into flesh and blood moments. So here's the religious response to loss. To the paradox of knowing loss is inevitable and still wanting to hold on. To this time we are in. It's a response that only comes alive if you are a part of it. That's where the whole living in living tradition comes into play. We are tired. We are grieving. Many of us are angry. We're sad. We're something not named. Yes, there's joy too. There is delight. Yet everything has the word COVID attached to it still. I don't know about you, but I just want to throw my hands up in the air, right? I want to sit around that dumpster fire with everyone else and just curse at it endlessly. Maybe we should just do that right now. (laughs) Let's get a fire started. All right. (laughs) If you've ever attended a funeral or memorial service that I've led in the past, you know by now I always remind people about grief. It is such a strange thing that grief makes people feel guilty. I see it far too often. But tears do not require an apology. But this is where we are. Let me just say it. We are all in a mix of ubiquitous grief. Worldwide, universal, present languishing and continuing grief if not fully in our lives it circles around several conversations and places that we are a part of these days it circles around this place Sunday morning the burnout of our volunteers and our staff members which is real many of whom are right here in this room it is bone-deep for our healthcare workers The lines left on a doctor or nurse's or chaplain's face from wearing a mask all day, they are emblems of deeper scars. Teachers are tired of parents screaming at them. They're tired of children's lives being a political talking point. We might go to anger, disappointment, bewilderment at the continued loss. That's okay. It all falls under that one word, grief. We may find our own memories being impacted. 21 months of not knowing can do a lot to our memory. Our responses to frustration, some of us have physically suffered, mentally, spiritually, grief. We are not in a place of equilibrium. The tension I mentioned of living a life where you both recognize that continued loss and try to hold on that's a healthy place to be, in the tension. But now we're ping-ponging from one extreme to the next. Everything is hopeless in one moment. Everything is fine in the next. Rinse and repeat. And so I say it at every funeral. It's important to name your grief. To feel it. It is not evil. Grief is an expression of love. Most often of a love lost, but love nonetheless. And so let your body grieve. Don't fight it. Because it is here. It is there. And having a practice where we can both care for ourselves and grieve this continued pandemic and the news and seeing the chart continue to tick upward again. It is in that, in feeling it, that a hope emerges. Sounds weird, right? What kind of hope is this? What is this strange hope? We are in the midst of Hanukkah and Advent in the Jewish and Christian traditions. In the story of Hanukkah, we find the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem. If you've ever read the first or second book of Maccabees, you know this rededication is bookended by significant violence and upheaval. The Maccabean histories are like the action film stars of the Hebrew Bible, of the Septuagint tradition, kind of like the Arnold Schwarzenegger's and Sylvester Stallone's of biblical literature. It is nonstop. I kid you not. Read it. It is nonstop. But you've heard the story and no doubt know how it ends. In that rededication of the temple, the holiest of holies, the sacred temple of Israel, with battle erupting around everyone, they needed pure olive oil to light the lamp for eight days to complete the rededication. Instead, they only had enough for one day. Sealed oil from the days of the prophet and king Samuel, right? Sealed with the high priest's insignia. You are not supposed to open this oil. And yet they opened it. And behold, the oil lasted eight days as the Midrash goes. The miracle of this increasingly significant holy day for our Jewish siblings Now, the parallels are hard to miss, right? No, I don't have oil from the time of Samuel. There are no high priests here. But here we are again on the cusp of yet another COVID variant, of rising cases, of political division, of gun violence in the news again and again and again. Name the strife and turmoil, and there it is. And if the uncertainty of the pandemic weren't enough, right now, this moment, we do have a little sacred oil. Balm for our minds, bodies, and souls to endure one more night. And we do. And we endure one more night. And another night. And another night. And 21 months later, another night. This is the miracle that we are here, that we are bound in community, joyful in community, and we endure. That there is still joy to be found amidst uncertainty and chaos. And so, of course, it's easy to say, Chag Urim Sameach, happy festival of lights. May we be a festival of lights, each of us in this community. Coupled with Hanukkah, of course, is the season of Advent, when, what the Christian tradition calls the darkest period of the church year, but also the start of the new church year in the Christian calendar. I've always found it interesting that Christianity begins their year in darkness. It ends, if you follow it, not in glory as you might expect, but instead with the normal march of our lives to darkness once more. The time after Easter and Pentecost, called amusingly enough, ordinary time is when the Christian calendar ends. And then we go back to darkness. And here is Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, When candles seeking hope, faith, joy, and peace are kindled each week. In Advent, I turn to, personally, a lesser-known story from the Gospel of Luke. Maybe you know it, but really, it's not talked about much. I can't remember a time in my life I've heard someone talk about it. Have you ever heard of the prophet Anna? She's in there. (laughs) She's there. Second chapter of Luke. You can look it up later. She's named a prophet by the writer of that Gospel, whoever it was. She was married for only seven years before her husband died. And so as a widow, she chose to live out her days in the temple in Jerusalem, fasting and praying and waiting night and day. From her younger days up until the age of 84, she stayed in that temple. She was waiting for something, wrestling with her grief. It ran deep until... A young boy named Jesus was introduced and presented at the temple. From then on, she would proclaim the hope of redemption to all of Israel, to all who would listen. We don't know much about her other than that. But she found what she was waiting for. For that hope after decades. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, my favorite, a philosopher I've been reading quite a lot lately. I feel he's the perfect philosopher for this time. He wrote about Anna the prophet. He said she was an exemplar of what it means to be a person of faith. It was in her grief, in her waiting, that her faith became real. Of course, Kierkegaard writes at length about this. So this is one takeaway. The Advent season, like the prophet Anna waiting in the temple, invites us to consider our grief. To look to the darkening days and to sit in the stillness of them. Waiting and not knowing. I don't even need to list the parallels here, right? In Hanukkah, they waited eight days and a miracle happened. In the early stories of Christianity, this Advent season, a prophet named Anna waited decades of her life. Hope and light and joy emerged still. Loss was still experienced. Grief was real, it was felt, it did not melt away, it never does. But each of those stories rest in that balance we talked about. Everything passes away, but we human beings still hold on. The season of lights asks us to hold that tension in our lives. They beckon to us all, do not give in to despair, do not give in to denial. Rest in not knowing, rest in the tension, rest in the night, and rest in kindling fragile flames, Yes, all goes onward and outward. Yes, the art of loss isn't hard to master. In this is the hope. As a church, as a community, a congregation, we are called more than ever to take care of one another, to be honest with how we are feeling because we're all feeling some level of this languishing. To name it, this ubiquitous grief. To be generous in our forgiveness, For each other, but especially for ourselves. And to still kindle flames of hope as we wait. And so this is my hope for you, beloved congregation. Let your hearts be rekindled, even as we enter another season of not knowing. The season of new variants, new fears and worries. Rekindle and share that light, that hope. That is the miracle of these days. May it be so. Amen.